Hi, everyone. Happy Saturday afternoon and welcome to Platica with Adelita, where we're discussing issues that our community is facing here in Pima County and how we can work together to ensure um, and overcome challenges. Um, and we have to do it united as a community. Today, we'll be talking with leaders and advocates working to end homelessness in our community and learn more about the resources for people facing possible eviction. We know this past year has been in extremely difficult for all of us with thousands of people losing their jobs and fighting pandemic this will likely lead to an increase in those experiencing homelessness in 2021. Arizona has the 14th largest homeless population in the country and every year 62,000 children throughout Arizona are displaced and unaccompanied through no fault of their own making Arizona the fifth worst state in the nation for child homelessness. Currently, the Biden administration has extended the federal eviction moratorium to March 31st, and the Pima County Board of Supervisors voted this week, four to one, to close the loopholes to ensure that the moratorium continues to protect people from being unhoused. I'm joined today by some amazing advocates who will introduce themselves. Um, but quickly, we have Bonnie Pasada, uh, Pima County ending with Pima County Ending Poverty Now, Jennifer Darland, Pima County Community and Workforce Development and Daniela Figueroa of Tucson Pima Collaboration to End Homelessness and Youth Other Own. And so what I wanna do is I'm gonna have each one of you introduce yourself and I'll just go ahead and go how you're listed on my screen. So Daniela, did you wanna go ahead and take a minute to introduce yourself? Absolutely, hello, I'm Daniela Figueroa and I'm the Director of Programs at Youth On Their Own. I've been there for about almost six years, and I'm also part of the Tucson Pima Collaboration to End Homelessness uh, Governing Board as the chair. And that is the uh, body in our community that oversees and distributes housing resources from the um, government. So it's, it's, it's wonderful to be here. I'm really excited to have a conversation about housing in our community. Thank you, Daniela. Jennifer. Good afternoon. Um, my name is Jennifer Darland. I'm the program manager for the Homeless Services Division of the Community Workforce and Development Department of Pima County. I oversee six uh, uh, housing programs, four of which are HUD, two of which are state funded. I also oversee the Homeless Management Information System known as HMIS. That is the community-wide data uh, management uh, system by which anyone who's experiencing homelessness is kind of tracked, served in our community and matched with resources and programs, including um, eviction prevention. Um, and I also oversee um, a, an amazing dynamic team of over 24 individuals. Um, the front of the house side of folks have been working with the city of Tucson in their collaboration to move people experiencing homelessness um, during this pandemic into crisis shelters so they could be safely um, kept isolated um, and keep you know our shelters from becoming unfortunate hotspots for viral spread. And I also serve with Daniela Figueroa on the Tucson Pima County uh, Collaboration to End Homelessness. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Bonnie. Good afternoon, everyone. And thank you so much, Supervisor Curijalva, for this opportunity and what an important conversation and an important time. And uh, honored to be on the call with Daniela and Jen. Um, Jen's a colleague uh, in the Community and Workforce Development Office that we have that uh, has a strong focus on workforce development, but also uh, really looks at um, our vulnerable populations and, and how to make sure that we're reaching out with resources there. And my focus is on poverty. And so when the pandemic hit, um, I felt like there was no more important place to be than addressing eviction prevention, because we know, you know, evictions just take a terrible toll on people, uh, make it very difficult to kind of get restabilized and back on their feet. But additionally, during this pandemic, you know, we're looking at exposing people to the virus, risking spreading the virus, and recent research has shown even that evictions can result in higher levels of death. And so um, one of the things I, I do is once a week, we have a very broad multi-sector call uh, across nonprofits, government, elected officials, uh, the faith community, just to touch base every week and try to understand, you know, what's going on. It's such a quickly moving uh, landscape and um, lots of, we're on a, what, our fourth or fifth moratorium. <laughs> so, um, you know, trying to understand better how to respond to, to get a sense of what's going on. 
Um, and, and I really want to give a shout out to a colleague who's not on this call today, but Mineta Cervantes, who is our uh, program manager over our community action agency. So they distribute the majority of rent and utility assistance and partner um, with a number of agencies to do that and have, uh, like everything else, have scaled up quickly um, and been able to push out, I think, over $12 million. Um, and now we're, we're, for the next round of funding, we'll be partnering with the city of Tucson to make it easier on the customer side to just have one place to go. But I know we'll we'll talk more about that as we dig into today's conversation, but delighted to be with you today. Thank you so much. And thank you to all of you for being here. I know it's Saturday afternoon. You're like, I just want to breathe and relax from all of our, your very stressful jobs. So I'm very appreciative of you giving us the, some of your time this Saturday. What is the current state of housing right now? in Pima County in Arizona? Like what are some of the issues that people are dealing with right now that maybe have been um, exacerbated by COVID and um, pandemic and quarantine? Can I jump in real quick and then I'll let my Absolutely. colleagues jump in after me. I mean, first I think it's really important to say that before the pandemic, we had a housing crisis, right? We had an affordable housing crisis where we have a large percentage of our families spending more than 30% of their income on rent. And, and that becomes such an unstable situation. And, uh, and, and so that's just been exacerbated by the pandemic. And of course, we know that families of color are more impacted by the housing instability and low income families. And, um, and, so, and so now we're in a situation where um, the rental market is tightening up. Um, some people are getting out of the rental market, so we have fewer rental units. Um, we have less mobility right now because of the moratoriums, and we, we're seeing a strong housing market, so that's driving up the rents uh, around the city. And so it's kind of a perfect storm of an affordable housing crisis that we're looking at right now. And I think everybody's trying to get a sense of what's happening. It's 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 challenging right now because of everything that uh, is is moving and trying to get a sense of how many people um, are behind on rent and how many people need rent utility assistance and all of that. But it's, um, it's certainly challenging times. So before we got into this pandemic, to Bonnie's point, there was a lot of lack of inventory. We just don't have enough of it. This is a place where people move from across the country to retire. They um, come here to buy property. They don't necessarily, and people who want to get out of the affordable re um, rental market will sell it to people who want to develop it and make a profit off of it. The other challenge that we have, I think, is the amount um, of what we were seeing before is that we have people who do a lot of front end jobs. So, and those are the first jobs, the first line that's going to be impacted when there is a stay at home order to keep the virus from spreading. And those are people that, you know, you'll go to like a coffee shop, it's going to be closed for 10 days because somebody came in who was positive, that's 10 days without pay. You're already living paycheck to paycheck. We've seen this crisis before in 2008, right? Not everybody has enough money in reserves to be able to make their rent. And so you bring in something like this and it shuts everything down. And all of a sudden you have people who are out of work, out of jobs, and don't have enough money and resources to pay their rent. And in some cases, in programs like ours where we have people who've been housed, rapidly rehoused, maybe had significant trauma that led to their first homeless experience, um, there's not enough behavioral health resources to keep people stably housed once they are in housing programs. And so some of the things that they're dealing with can be exacerbated by yet another crisis that comes into the community. And without those kind of support systems around those individuals and those families, who is a landlord going to call in the middle of the night when there's a crisis for the family? What are they going to do? What are the resources they're going to like turn to? They're going to call 911. They're going to find the loopholes in the CDC moratorium to evict individuals. There's just not enough community resources. We saw this before the crisis, but now that it's here, it's exacerbated some of the big holes left in the social safety net. We just don't have enough of those support, those support systems to keep families stable, not just economically and not just with a brick and mortar over their heads, but oftentimes with the social service component that they need to keep them themselves and their families kind of in, in the fight to survive, if you will, for lack of a better term. Daniela, did you have something you wanted to add? Sure. I, those are excellent explanations. Um, I absolutely agree. We 
in TPCH, the collaboration to end homelessness in our community, we've seen from 2019 point in time count to the 2020, a 60% increase in people experiencing homelessness. So absolutely, this has been an issue in our community already, and that pandemic has only magnified it. And at Youth on Their Own, we work with young people trying to graduate high school but are experiencing homelessness. We were talking about ways that this affects young people. You know, if if they happen to be in a rental agreement, having, you know, that agency and advocacy to be able to push against some of these eviction issues is really challenging. And navigating that system can be really difficult if they're in a housing unit themselves. Um, let alone access because young people tend to get reduced hours really quickly. It's hard to find a job because they're competing in the same markets as um, older adults. And mm -hmm. it, it, it causes this crisis that keeps compounding. And it's absolutely um, uh, an issue that requires multiple partners at the table. It isn't just social service agencies, as Jen is alluding to. It, it takes landlords and local businesses and governments and social services to come together around the housing crisis in our community. Mm -hmm. uh, we had uh, recently the Youth Homelessness Demonstration Project. We received grant monies from HUD about a year and a half ago. And one of the delays to getting some of the youth housing programs going was finding inventory, finding landlords and rental units to be able to provide housing. Uh, it's a huge challenge that even when we have money, we can't find the apartments. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's, you, you've all sort of touched on this issue. And I wondered if you wanted to have a little more time to kind of flesh it out as this pandemic has affected housing um, pretty significantly. In what ways has it shed light on some systemic issues facing housing? I've seen the way it's affected education and it's sort of, you had all these problems before. And then you have this issue with the pandemic and quarantine. And then you see very clearly you have the have and the have not communities. And for those that do not have the resources, the, the problem continues to compound. There just seems to be more issues on top of um, what are some of our communities in crisis are facing. So did any of you want to um, talk about, did, has anyone else come to the table in light of um, trying to work together during this pandemic? So stepping out a little bit here on a limb, I'd say that we all have come together and, and the agency sort of stopgap approach, right? We've all sort of rallied around the table. We know who to call um, when we run into a regulation that isn't as flexible as we would like for it to be. And to Daniela's point and the point that I think that we've all made, it's not an absence of money. I mean, we've got the money to do it. We just don't have the stuff to get what we want. I'd say that one of the things that we do need is a brokered relationship between the people who have the brick and mortar assets that we need for our people. And I think what they need, I think that the landlords, the property owners, what they need is they need to know that there's a triage team that they can call in the middle of the night when they're having an issue. That it doesn't have to be 911 who they call. It's not always going to be our emergency responders, but it's people who are, have background in behavioral health, um, addiction, um, other resources that can come to the table and intervene. Um, if you if you knew that you were having an issue with a, a, the tenant not able to pay rent and you knew it was a young mom with with two young kids um, and you knew that there was a hotline you could call right away and we could leverage those resources lickety split versus go through court. Um, and if we could incentivize landlords to be partners in this versus, you know, adversaries. Um, I think that we would get a lot farther. I think, don't get me wrong, I understand there are cases happening out there where yes, landlords are probably taking advantage of this opportunity to get rid of that tenant that they've had a really tough time with. I understand that. Uh, and, but I know that I have anecdotally a few people in our housing programs who have been evicted and it's not because they haven't paid their rent because that's what we do. We, we fund their rent while they're in our project. But there's been a violation of the, of the crime-free addendum. And so you leave landlords in this position, what, what do I do with the rest of my tenants? But I think that what I would really love is to see a brokered relationship building sort of table where it's where we bring people together and sort of start figuring out what is it that the landlords need from a community response perspective? And then what is it that the social service agencies need from the landlords? 
and we start to broker some sort of treaty, if you will, it yeah. it gives people it gives everybody at the table that sort of confidence that we're going to come together and we're not going to work against each other, but we're going to try and work together in the crisis to keep landlords paid and people housed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually have a call with some landlords on Monday. And so I will actually bring some of these concerns up because quite frankly, I don't understand the perspective of a landlord. I've never owned property. I've never, you know, like that kind of where I have income property, where I have somebody living in my home that isn't paying rent or that's destroying my property. I don't understand that perspective necessarily. And so that's why I wanted to meet with them to understand how this moratorium that the Board of Supervisors passed um, last week is affecting them. And so I think that that is a really good idea to what else can we do as a partnership to work together? Because we do need them. We need the landlords to provide the housing and we need um, social service organizations to provide that additional network, that like net of support um, that some of our community needs. Um, Kristen Randall says, Bonnie runs a really successful Monday meeting on evictions where information is shared and new ideas are generated. I hope she talks about some of the new programs she and Jen have started. I guess that's a segue right there. Bonnie. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to mention, you know, Constable Randall has is on those calls and has been such an important pipeline uh, to seeing, to helping us understand, you know, she's boots on the ground. She's a constable, right? And her team. And um, I'm telling you, so many of us have really gotten an education in how this eviction process works pre and, and during a, a moratorium. And, um, and, I'd, and I'd like to mention on that point that, um, that Pima County had a task force on eviction and homelessness prevention. So it was multi-sector. We had housing industry people there, nonprofits, government, faith community. Um, and we came up with 37 recommendations in four areas. We had four action teams. And for me, one of the ones that really surfaced as critical is an eviction diversion court. So a specialty court where we could do what Jen is talking about. We could wrap around resources. We could make sure you know landlords are made whole, but also that tenants are um, given opportunities for representation, mediation, education, and those supportive services. Um, I know Daniela and Jen work a lot with people who are ho currently homeless, right? But uh, but this pandemic and, and evictions in general have been hitting a lot of families that, you know, are a little bit um, more stable than that, but still, as was, has already been said today, living paycheck to paycheck, right? Mm -hmm. And, and, and what causes that eviction is usually not just one thing. It can be several things falling apart because that's what happens when, you're, when, you're, when you don't have enough resources, right? So the eviction prevention court would give us an opportunity to really wrap that around. And Judge um, Susan Shutter is looking at an interesting community court concept. And I'm kind of hoping that maybe we could do um, a combined court that would allow us to really... Uh, you know, the idea of making people whole, right? It's 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 how do we um, stabilize families as much as we can at that opportunity that we have. Mm -hmm. And another idea that came forward were navigators. So somewhat similar to what Jen was talking about, but it would be, you know, more broadly uh, available in the community that we could train social service staff. And so it's a, it's a bright line between education and advocacy, but People don't, and you know, it's very complicated. And, and that's why we have very low representation of tenants in the courts. They feel intimidated, they don't understand the process. And if you're not representing yourself, you know, the outcome is pretty much determined before then. So navigators could help with education and preparation of documents and, and things that would allow tenants to, and, and, and landlords potentially too, to um, make sure that they're taking full advantage of, of the courts. And then there were there were recommendations about lengthening the line, line, time the timeline for the eviction process so that tenants simply have time to, to get in and get rent assistance, right? Uh, when you only have a five day notice before it goes to court and that might be bridging over a weekend, right? So you don't have much time to, to get, in the, get in line to get rent assistance. Um, and then there were also some really interesting ideas around affordable housing um, that were out there as well. But I, I want to just, again, shout out to Constable Randall and her team that are there on the ground um, talking with tenants, trying to educate people about using the moratorium, which requires the use of a declaration form 
that very few tenants know anything about, right? And also mm -hmm. connecting them up with rent assistance and, and other um, other assistance. And, and I'd let you just say one other thing quickly to your initial question. There's no question that this pandemic has really put a spotlight on these deep fissures that we have in our economy and our community. But, and that really, if you look at it both through a racial lens and a gendered lens, we can really see how um, how much disparity we had uh, already in our community. And, um, and so it's really important as we um, go forward in our solutions that we keep that keep those lenses on that we that we're really looking at who's been most impacted by this and how do we um, focus our resources in a way that we can begin to address those disparities. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I thought um, you, Bonnie, you've touched on it a little bit is who's been most impacted by homelessness and um, housing insecurity. And I think that what we're looking at is the same um, community members that are impacted um, when it comes to education, when it comes to jobs, when it, I mean, it's, it really, you end up looking at the same population that is dealing with a lot of other issues. And what I've noticed with um, families that have reached out and children that are in our schools, and more and more of them are living in poverty, like 200% below the federal poverty line for a family of five is, I think it's like $10,000 and so I, a year. And so I think that when we talk about that kind of um, situation and people that are underemployed, those are the things that this pandemic has really, they just continue to hit these families over and over and over again. Um, Kathy Dong, who watches, thanks so much, Kathy. Um, thank you for having this conversation. As a high school leader, leader, homelessness is a topic of interest to us as well. And I find many of us need more knowledge on the issue and resources. Our district, McKinney Vento leader is outstanding. Still, I think there are more partnerships and programs we at the sites could be aware of. And so I think Kathy brings up a good point. What is it that um, we can do at the school site, at a job site where we're working with a lot of families? What are some programs that we need to know about, inform ourselves so we can help people in crisis? I think that's my cue. <laughs> I know. I was just going to say, I'm staring at you, Brian. I'm pretty sure this is, I, all of you could probably touch on it, but I'm like, that's a Daniela question, I feel like. <laughs> uh, obviously, youth on their own, that is what we do. We work with young people who are trying to graduate high school and experiencing homelessness. And, and I'll say this, that the way that young people experience homelessness is more diverse than your your like what people could think of with adult homelessness is like you know uh it, sleeping outdoors that still happens with young people but when they're school connected there's a lot of couch hopping there's these temporary living situations and they're they're very unstable um and to to bonnie's point that she made earlier young people the, the only reason young people are in our program is because of poverty Families get split up. All of these effects of poverty on the household, on the family, is the reason why we have young people in our program. And it's really important that I'm, I'm just gonna I'm gonna talk about the youth serving programs in a second, but I just really want to make a, a case for not otherizing people who are in poverty and experiencing homelessness, which is the extreme end of poverty. They are us. They are a reflection of our community. They're our brothers and sisters, our children. We have to look our, at ourselves in the mirror and say, like, we, and, and avoid blaming, like, oh, because you did this and that, or you didn't work hard enough, or whatever, whatever story we want to tell ourselves. It is is just a way to distance ourselves from something we don't want to see, but until we realize and we recognize that all of us in the community have a place here to solve this issue and that it isn't a young person's fault for being a teenager who you know didn't want to live at home or it isn't the adult who you know should go just get a job that that our systems are creating this and 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 we're participants in the system so i it just i i want us to be very careful about saying oh well that's not me that's not anybody i know it is 
because it's our community and we want a community where everyone thrives and especially young people who who are on their own and don't know how to navigate the system it's so challenging so youth on their own is a resource for schools absolutely we work very closely with mckinney vento liaisons we work closely with our partners um at all the school sites in pima county school counselors principals we really will advocate if a young person isn't yet school connected, hi, if you know a young person, I'm going to make the pitch, if you know a young person who isn't school connected, really struggling with housing and security is on their own, youth on their own will help. We will get, get young people connected. There are obviously other agencies, uh, our partners uh, in youth work that are amazing. Um, Goodwill Metro has a drop-in center on 4th, so does SAFE with their center on 4th. Young people can visit those locations and get resources. Uh, we have wonderful youth housing programs that have intake um, specialists that will get young people connected to housing resources, some of which are our family services. SAFE also has programs, OSPCS, or Old Public Community Services, um, and then also um, Community Partners of Southern Arizona. I'm trying not to use acronyms. We're so bad at that in our like social service world. <laughs> Let's just throw out a bunch of acronyms. Um, we have we we will get young people connected for sure. Um, and and of course we're so lucky in Pima County that we have so many social service agencies that you really can go to any social service agency in our community and they will connect you to the resources that are right for you. That is our role in the community and we're really grateful to be doing that job. I would just add that the other piece is the uh, superintendent, Dustin Williams, you know, making sure that I, I know that this is an issue that he cares about. I think that he has a link to resources that he tries um, to keep updated on that website for families. But again, one of the first places that a, that a family is going to ping in at when they have that homeless experience is going to be the schools. It's just if the teacher is going to hear about it before a social service agency is going to hear about it. Um, our, our little shop is one telephone number that you can call if you are having a housing crisis. Um, and I don't know if someone wants to put it in the chat for folks, but they can call 724 7300. And that is, um, you'll hear Sullivan Jackson Employment Center, but that is what we call a, a public access point. So families who are experiencing homelessness can call us. We will do an assessment. It will take a few minutes um, and we will get them into what's called coordinated entry, which means the entire community is coordinating resources for families based off the vulnerability index and who's most vulnerable and needs a resource when, including homeless prevention, by the way. So when they're pinging in, an agency that has resources, funding, the ability to help them can ask for them to be referred to. It's a whole process. We could do a whole other conversation about all of this. It's so complicated. But the net net is at the end of the day, that's one telephone number that you can call. And then I think that, Daniel, it's tpch.org is at the website, and that lists all of the other public access points in our community and other places and other resources that she mentioned, you know, our family services, old Pueblo community um, partners, all of those folks. We're all there, and they're listed there for other areas um, and agencies that can assist. But, yeah, we need to broaden the awareness of these places, but they are there. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, Kathy Dong brought up a really good point where, and you brought it up again, teachers and school sites are the ones that see it first. They're the ones that notice that 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 little boy's wearing the same shoes that he wore two years in a row and he doesn't seem to have any other ones. And, you know, he's really hungry because the last meal he had was lunch when he was at school. And that's where, you know, you have backpack um, meals that, that go with children. And so, I know that there's um, there was a there's a reason that each one of you got into this this line of work and this sort of mission. And so I wanted to hear from each one of you what what that was. What was what's the reason that you're doing this and this specific issue in our community with um, housing insecurity and homelessness? Why was this something that that you were drawn to? And I'll just go ahead and start with Bonnie. <laughs> Thank Your you. mic was already off, Bonnie. I you know, know, I know. Well, let, me, let me say this too. Let me make a pitch for Pima County Resources. Um, you know, our, our Community Workforce Development Division, 
we are the largest workforce, you know, job assistance center in the county. And we're, we're often the best kept secret, I think. Um, but we're there to help people get connected to jobs. And interestingly, we are one-stop centers, never closed through this whole pandemic. And, um, whoops, sorry. Oh. Ah, forgot to silence my phone. Sorry, everybody. Uh, <laughs> So, so come and use us, right? That's what we're here for. And we have uh, different like doors. You can come in and use our resource centers, get on our, um, you can sign up. I'll put, I'll put the email in. You can get our weekly email with all the jobs we know about in Pima County. And if you are eligible, you can get connected to a workforce development specialist and get up to $3,000 in training support and choose a career pathway that's going to lead you to that self-sustaining wage, right? So we're really here to help with all of that. And we also have the Community Action Agency, which is the largest pipeline for rent and utility assistance. And we partner with a number of other agencies to push that money out the door. So um, we have a lot of resources in our one-stop centers. Uh, and, and please use us, please direct parents to us. Um, and I think we do sometimes need to do a better job of getting our name out and connecting with the schools. but. Um, we're, that's you know those are critical resources to help families stabilize. So, so we're here to help. And um, you know it's always easier to answer um, uh, the content questions than the personal ones. <laughs> but um, I suspect I'm I'm like uh, a, like my colleagues and a number of people on this call where it's just uh, I from a very early age I just had a passion for social justice for for wanting to be part of a healthy, connected community to, to address um, issues of barriers, to address issues of inequity. And, um, and, and I've had the privilege of doing that most of my career. And, um, and it is incredibly rewarding, right? It's a, I, meet, I get to work with wonderful people. I get to work in wonderful communities. And sometimes we actually get to see some progress so um, it's, I'm not always sure what sort of lit the spark, but it was there from a very early age. And, and, and I'm really grateful that I could um, make choices in my life that let me uh, contribute my energy in that direction. Jen, you wanna go? Well, I mean, our relationship goes back to education. Um, you know, I, that's where our paths cross professionally. And I think same, similar with Daniela with the Metropolitan Education Commission. I think we all know that when a kid goes to a classroom and they didn't have a proper place to sleep or maybe they slept in their car because of domestic violence broke out in the middle of the night, they're not gonna be adequate learners in the classroom and it's gonna make the job of teachers harder. And then we all know what happens when the job for teachers gets harder, right? Um, I left public education advocacy to go do more hands-on work with, with people. And that's when I met our now director, Dan Sullivan. I met him back in the education days when we were working on 204. And I hit him up and I said, I'm ready to get to work. What do you got for me? And he said, well, come help some people. Um, come help people who are experiencing homelessness. And so for about two years, I was in the classroom working with these people. And to Danielle's point about the importance of removing those labels, that's when it became my biggest thing, if you really want to make me mad in a meeting, call someone a homeless person. Um, they are people having a life experience and we need to acknowledge them as people. Um, but for me, I think the thing is, is that it's knowing that, it's knowing that we can do, that the social structures, the social safety net is only as good as the people who are there to hold it together, right? And I think that there are a lot of us. This, that's one of the things that this crisis has brought together is some of the best people in our community have come around multiple tables routinely and they're committed to finding pathways forward for people. Um, and I, you know me, I'm a real big groupie for social justice issues. Um, it's, it, it's, there are very few days that I get to put my head on the pillow and I feel like I've had a huge success, very few and far between. But then, but knowing that I'm showing up with the same people and watching, you know, even if it's just watching my team 
bring their heart, lean in, get really curious about what the regulations tell them they can do, right? Because we live from this lens of the regulations tell us we can't do this. And, and my team leans in and says, well, what can we do, right? And where can we leverage what we don't have with our additional partners in the community? That feels like a purpose-driven life. And that feels rewarding to me. And, you know, I had housing insecurity as a child, so I identify with what is happening. Um, and it's very difficult for me to think about what we don't know. And the next conversation I, I assume that you'll be having one of these days, Supervisor, is all of the trauma that we don't know that's happening behind doors right now, because they're not, these kids aren't in classrooms, because of technology and equity divide. We're gonna manifest some of this for the next 10 years. We're gonna be dealing with this. And I'm worried about what that means, but I am heartened by the people who come around this table. And there's nothing else I'd rather do. This really is some of the best work I've ever had. And I'm, we're very fortunate, colleagues like Bonnie and Daniela and supervisors, elected people who sit in positions uh, to meet, be deciders of what we get to do. And I'm very you know, fortunate to work with, you know, even a director, Dan Sullivan, who, you know, we call him the church, I call him privately, the Churchill of our department, because he goes boldly, you know, and says that, we all just have to get ready for this marathon, but he leads with heart and he reminds us all about showing up every day from a, pur a purpose-driven perspective. And it's really rewarding to work with people like that and in a community like that. And there's no better community to do this work than Pima County. Mm. Thanks, Daniela. Um, similar, I was a teacher. I uh, taught high school uh, chemistry and biology and um, worked at a, a charter school where primarily low-income brown kids um, and was really frustrated by my, the limitations of what I could do to help support young people who are finding themselves in essentially what is poverty. Poverty is a trauma. I think we need to really recognize that it's a trauma. It's it's mm -hmm. it causes so many symptoms that we like to think is the reason. It isn't. It's poverty, um, and especially for young people. Uh, you know, I'd have I can remember a young person who who fell asleep in my class, and of course you you have to address it as a teacher. Um, and so later to find out that that young person's uh, parents got arrested the night before. It was up till three in the morning. That is poverty. That is systemic injustice. It is it is so an intersection of so many things. Um, and, you know, young people who actually were in youth on their own. I had students in my class um, and get really disillusioned and burnt out by teaching. It's the hardest job. <laughs> it's just so hard. And, um, you know, just really believe in the the power of community and found myself at Youth on Their Own and, and working in the community. And I've loved every minute of it as well. And I love young people. I think we can think of young people, especially teenagers, as, you know, with attitudes and, you know, very self-involved. There's a lot of stereotypes that um, we think of when we think of teenagers, but they are amazingly resilient. I mean, it is so humbling to watch young people thrive in what is a lot of just a lot of barriers a lot of conflict they they absolutely thrive it's it's my life's passion so i'm, I'm really lucky oh thanks we have a lot of questions that are popping up one of them is why can't we utilize closed schools and turn the space into affordable housing i've been saying that forever and really we just need the investment we need somebody to do the investment. We need the federal government to intervene and open up some grants so we can do that because the worst thing in the world is to walk, I mean, not, not the worst thing, but it is really a sad thing, is to drive by like a closed school a, 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 that used to be like a community hub and now it's just, you know, has um, metal sheets over the windows and, you know, a lot of growth and it's just this vacant space that is, not really easy, easily utilized for other things, but affordable housing across the country, they have been able to do that. And so I would love to figure out a way to do that. Um, and so Kurt, thank you so much. I will bring the item up again and continue to look for grants. And um, Kathy mentioned, uh, are there any partnerships with Yodo and mental health agencies given the increase in the need for all students in addition to our homeless youth resulting from this pandemic? 
I know actually uh, uh, Jen spoke about Superintendent Williams. Uh, I know this is very much an important issue. There's a lot more social emotional counselors, uh, positions opening up at schools to help young people navigate and get connected. Uh, one of the barriers for in particular, in particularly youth who are on their own, who are in our program, has to do with giving consent. Um, if they're 17 or younger, they cannot consent for health services. The only service they can consult for is reproductive health services and like life insurance, which is bizarre. But uh, so that is part of our challenge in providing behavioral health services and often re-engaging with legal guardians can be really toxic. And so uh, we have to navigate that, it's a big challenge. But for 18 and older, we've partnered with our employment assistance program at Youth on Their Own uh, for free counseling, private counseling services for our 18 and older students. We just started this program, it's really small um, and we're seeing kind of how that develops over time. But uh, I think you're highlighting a key partner in this work um, and that is our behavioral health system it must be part of this conversation as Jen also talked about this. What is, how do we provide wraparound services so that when a person finds housing it's a successful uh, relationship with the landlord that they have agency within all of the the, the wraparound services. And so um, I think that's an opportunity for growth for our community, for us to better partner together with our behavioral health system. So Gina asked the question, are there any current policies or potential legislation we should be aware of or weary of at the county or state? level that you're aware. I know that Senator Engel has put forward um, several housing bills uh, that um, are would be great to get support behind. Um, and I recently learned how you can go in the system and track those uh, track those bills. Um, but they they have to do one is have to do with housing navigators to get funding behind more statewide um, navigators. Another one has to do, as I mentioned earlier, about expanding the timeline so people have more opportunity to connect to rent assistance and, and get support and avoid that eviction um, before it happens. And um, so, so those are some really important bills for us to keep an eye on, I think, that I know of at the state level. And I would say, um, you know- What the can the community do? Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I'm really pleased to see in the American Rescue Plan, the $15 an hour increase for minimum wage. I mean, that that alone will, will make a difference, right? So what can the community do to help be part of the solution? You guys are all doing amazing work and you have a lot of really great partners. But for someone who isn't working in this and just wants to be part of helping, what can we do? I would say, you know, I think it's already been mentioned here, Daniela and Jen, that we have a, an amazing network of nonprofits in our community. I think Tucson's very rich in this. And um, I would give give one a call and, and, and ask, how can I volunteer? I mean, there's nonprofits are dealing with a lot on their shoulders right now and might very much uh, appreciate, you know, volunteers who can step forward, especially if you have some kind of specialized um, skill set you can bring into that. I know the food bank's always looking for, for volunteers. Um, you know, and then in the longer picture, I'd love to think about what, what we can do to really, um, we live in a very racially and economically segregated community. Our whole country is that way and Tucson is that way. And to your earlier question, and I'm really sorry about my cat in the background. <laughs> to your earlier question, um, you know, there's they talk about this K recovery. So people who are, started out pretty stable in this pandemic may not be feeling very much of the effect mm -hmm. and may be pretty unaware of how much suffering there is on people who are lower income um and daniela said it beautifully it's not us and them it's 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 us it's all of us and so mm -hmm. i'd love to think broadly about how we do a better job of connecting our community so so we have a sense of our neighbor and what is what's really happening in our community mm -hmm. There's an author um, who was married to Patton Oswalt, um, Michelle McNamara, um, and her saying was, it's chaos, be kind. 
And so in the interim, before we have policies that we, you know, obviously I would say, listen, listen for the call for advocacy wherever you can. Um, um, and then do what you can, call when you can. But in the meantime, in the absence of, um, of a directive, in the absence of a charge, just remember that right now it's chaos for everybody. Just do your best to be kind. And know that everybody's trying to do something. You know, I, we are also, every other week we're on a call where we will hear um, Sergeant Joel Singh, who works with the TPD for the, they're the homeless outreach team for the police department. And he will tell, he will inform the, com the committee members or the people on the call about the number of calls that they're answering, you know, for people who are sleeping in, in parks and um, in alleyways. And, and so if we can just, before we do call on the police department, um, if we can just remember that it's, it, it's hard right now for everybody. And it's not, a, it's not necessarily a choice to be sleeping in their car in the park across the way from your house. It's sometimes about survival. Um, and then also to be the helper, because we are seeing, unfortunately, an, a high number of DV cases, um, uh, just domestic violence in a crisis. We all know that the stressors of a family life can be super hard. So if you see something, say something. Um, it could be the difference of life and death for many people, unfortunately. But in the meantime, to be kind to each other and to be kind to ourselves, that is one of the things that this that makes this community so great. Um, and then to tap into the Tucson Pima Collaboration in Homelessness for all of the announcements. Um, when things start to get back to normal, there will be calls to action. Follow them on Facebook. Follow um, Pima County um, Community Workforce and Development um, on Facebook as well. We, they, they're really good. The communications team is really good about sharing a lot of these calls to action for volunteers and needed resources and things like that, especially with Operation Deep Freeze, which is another thing that our shelters do when it gets super cold, is try and getting people into areas where they can be sheltered for the night. Um, so just tapping into resources that can help you be a helper in your community would be one really vital step that somebody could take right now that helps them feel like they're doing something in the absence of knowing what to do sometimes. Yeah. I think that's a really good point because a lot of people don't know where to go. They want to be helpful. I know that like, you know, people will make sandwiches and go into parks and just start handing out food and um, just being a connector because I think some people really feel very alienated when they're put in the position where they have to live on the streets and, and highlighting the fact that it took some time to get to that point. And before then they were couch hopping. They were trying to hold on to keep their family intact and having to, you know, send children off with a tia or a cousin or someone else because you wanna make sure that they're taken care of. Understanding that there's dynamics there that are very, I mean, if we think about even our own lives, very, very few of us have the security network that if we were to lose a job for six months or a year, that we couldn't be facing very similar situations. And so to try to understand that it is like a snowball effect and to be somebody that can be there as a resource to try to help people, that really is one of the most wonderful things about being on the governing board or working in a nonprofit is when you see these people 10 years later and they're like, you cared and that made a difference. And that's huge, it's so huge. Daniela, did you want to add anything? All wonderful things, beautifully said. I The only thing I would add is um, have conversations about this issue. Let's normalize that this isn't okay because the power is in community. When all of us say this is unacceptable, governments move and we need government to move. Communities start to move. We we. Let's start talking about it. Talk to you, talk to our local government. I mean, let's engage with Adelita. Let's engage with our city council members. Let's let's start having this conversation. Talk to your friends about this issue and 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 get informed. We have information so accessible to us in in our modern day. Um, so let's start teaching each other about what this issue is in our community. I think it's really key. Um, también en las comunidades. Uh, uh, hispanas, latinas, tenemos que tener la conversación. Este, esto es, es importante dar luz a la oscuridad. Let's give light to the, to the dark. And we, can, we can't address issues until we talk about it. 
Right. So, so I think it's really, really important to engage locally and um, reach out. the The website for the Tucson Pima Collaboration and Homelessness is T T P T C. Oh gosh, of course I'm not gonna get it now. <laughs> I've thought about it so many times. Tpch.net. N-E-T. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. oh my God, of course, I based on the website. Y, y Daniela, hay personas, cuando estamos hablando de estas organizaciones, hay personas que hablan español también a poder asistir. Sí, en muchas, muchas organizaciones en la comunidad hay personas que hablan español. Si no hay, nos podemos conectar. No, lo importante es que hablen. Manden uh -huh. correos, manden mensajes, lo que puedan hacer. Estamos aquí para servirlos. Es nuestro, nuestro don de poder ayudar a la comunidad. Entonces, es nuestra responsabilidad de poder comunicarnos uh -huh. con, con todos los que están en la comunidad, no nomás la gente que habla inglés. Aquí estamos. Los, los jóvenes Youth on Their Own están aquí para ustedes y están viendo. Yeah. Well, muchas gracias. And thank you. I was just asking if we had people who spoke Spanish. And this actually another point that was brought up because um, we're talking about a lot of these communities that are at high risk um, of, you know, how do we vaccinate our high risk communities? And I think that a lot of our homeless population, how how is um, how are we talking about reaching out to um, people who may live in a transient environment in where they don't have a household that this is their permanent address. Um, have we heard about uh, any any updates on that? So that work continues to be, um, the health department was very proactive in reaching out and finding out who the shelters were, how many people were currently in residence in shelter, and um, to get an idea of how many staff members and how many people nightly are they seeing so that they could start building that into their plan. I know that Dr. Colin did participate in Councilman Fingers' um, Homeless Coalition call last week um, and gave an update. Unfortunately, everything is about supply right now. So they're in, they're part of the plan. I couldn't speak to it with any specificity other than knowing that they've been, it's been part of their overall operational um, plan, I keep saying plan, but they've, they've had that number and that population in, in, in mind, but supply and how fast we're getting through these priority groups um, is impacting that, how much we're not now going to be getting from the state with that reduction, I think is going to impact that as well. Um, they've been partnering with El Rio and El Rio since the beginning of this crisis has been working in coordination with the city and the crisis hotel response when we were working to decongregate the hotel sh uh, shelters. I'm sorry, the shelters into hotels to reduce the risk um, for high risk populations. Um, and they stay involved and they're going to be involved in, in that rollout. But everything, again, we, we can build a plan, but without the supply, it's really super tricky. I know that they are concerned too about the mobility, right? Because you've got that second dose. Unless, of course, we get the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, which would be ideal for that population, honestly, um, because then you get one and you don't have to worry about them coming back for the second one. Because there is a mobility to the population, and many of them go from one shelter to the other. And as what we're also seeing, um, you know, whether or not there's a person who pops up positive, they're not necessarily going to be in that same shelter two weeks later when they need their shot. So, but right. it is part of the conversation, it is happening. Okay, I was concerned about that because we have so many populations that feel that they're unrepresented in this process. Um, many people that are monolingual Spanish speakers, and so in adding in the additional layer of not having um, a stable residence, somewhere to call home every day, I, I can only imagine that this um, population is even more at risk. And so we're, I knew this would go by really fast. We have like seven whopping minutes left. And so I wanted to give each one of you an opportunity just to sum up. Um, I, we talked about a lot of resources. We're gonna make sure to put links to all of the organizations in um, at the bottom of the chat for, for this item. But I just am really in awe and so inspired by all of the work that each of you are doing individually, collectively with your teams. Um, it's just thank, thank you on behalf of our community for all that you're doing first off. But um, I really, what I appreciated and the big takeaway for me was that this is a problem for all of us. This is our community. If we want our community to continue to thrive and recover from this pandemic, we can't have groups of us that are just ignored. 
because we don't want to see them or because we don't want to have to deal with the problem. And so I appreciate that um, for this specific issue, we have some really strong, um, loud voices to continue to draw attention to the issue. So if there is anything else that you wanted to kind of add at the very end here, I'll give each one of you an opportunity to just close out, maybe highlight any other resources or one takeaway that you'd like um, the community listening in, listening in to, to take away from this conversation. And I'll go ahead and start with Jen. Of course. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. You know, but you're just so prolific. I feel like you got it. You got it. The big takeaway that I would hope that people take from this is that the work is long. It's going to be a while before we're done. This is, as it's been said, this is the end of the beginning and this is going to be a marathon. And so keeping your ears to the, you know, just stay connected. Right. And I know that your office is likely going to be a point where people can call and ask it how to get involved. I know that you're going to be leading on this as well. You know, reaching out to the resources that will hopefully be posted later. Um, and just know that, you know, I, I don't know if, if you wake up one day and you think, oh, my gosh, what a crumb, there's a pothole in my in my street again. You live in one of the best places. You have some wonderful people um, who really do care about everybody across the social spectrum and everybody's doing the best that they can. I said, so I think honestly, at the end of the day, the takeaway that I have from my little Pollyanna perspective is is I, I am once again reminded about how lucky and fortunate I am to share this work with some really amazing people. Um, and I know that we can get through this. I, I'm, 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 it might seem really long, but I have a lot of faith and confidence that we can get through this together. We've got a great little team and a great little community. Thank you, Jen. Um, Daniela? Yes, I, I, I am like Jen also, I believe in community. So I think uh, call your representatives, state, local, national, let's, let's, let's raise voices and, and, and advocate for, for people in our community. Because as Jen said, this is a long-term problem. It's been there. It's always been there. It is, uh, it, it definitely cuts across racial disparities. Our indigenous population is particularly affected by rates of, of homelessness and um, young people who like for them to navigate to get a vaccine is is sometimes insurmountable. So um, let's start having the conversation. Um, I think that's really important. Uh, and then and then reach out to your social service agencies um, if you need support. Um, there's no shame in needing support. I think um, that's what we're here for. And um, I, we're really glad to, to help. So um, you, can, you can go to yoro.org for youth on their own. TPCH.net will connect you to many of the housing providers in our community. And I just really want to give a shout out to Pima County government and city of Tucson. Our government has really stepped up. It's one of the reasons why the COVID hasn't spread among our homeless, our populations who are experiencing homelessness. It's because our local government has has stepped up with the hotels and um, respites and and all of the resources, all of these agencies that come and collaborate with our local leaders. So just really grateful, as Jen said, to live in this community, and um, grateful for the for the time. Thank you, Adelita. Thank you, um, Bonnie. Well, uh, since my cat has been trying to um, make an on-screen uh, appearance several times, I just want to mention our Pima Animal Care Center, um, which and she's a pack. She started as a pack foster kitten, and I'm a failed foster mother, so she's with me now. And um, but it's you know what's amazing, and I've heard of this very little across the country. Our uh, pack will take the pets of people who are getting evicted and hold them for 90 days. And they're asking people to help foster those animals so they have as normal an experience until they get reunited. You know, an eviction is so painful on many levels, but having to lose your pets who are part of your family is, is devastating. So um, one way to volunteer and give some support is go help foster um, a pack animal. And I, I, I would close by saying that, you know, um, as we, we all want to get back to normal, but let's not 
let's create a new normal, right? Let's not go back to the old normal. You know, after an earthquake, right, you rebuild and you learn what was wrong with the old structures and you figure out how to do it better. And we're, we've gone through an earthquake, right? And we're going to be rebuilding. So I think um, we'll need all of the energy and brilliant thinking and kindness and determination in our community from all parts of our community to figure out how to do this better. And so um, I'm excited to be a part of that and, and to be part of this, you know, really precious community that that um, digs deep all the time. And uh, I put in the, in the chat my contact information. I'd love to follow up with anybody. One of the things I feel that I'm asked to do is be a connector. So if you're trying to figure out where you go next, you know, let me know and I'd be glad to help you. Or if you have an eviction question or, or any of that, um, that's, uh, that's what we're here to do. Jen, Jen and I are here to help connect the public with the, with the right places. So thank you so much for this opportunity. Well, thank you, Daniela, Jen, and Bonnie. I really appreciate your time. Um, you know, I am very humbled by all the work that you're doing and I'm very um, glad that there are advocates like you standing up for so many. So thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your Saturday. Thank you for giving us a lot to think about and um, to be mission driven and that we can get through this together as a community. Thank you so much. Muchas gracias. Stay safe.